This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're looking this morning at verses 11 through 18. 2 Timothy 1, 11 through 18. In the ESV, it sort of starts in mid-sentence. Uh, so we're going to go back and start our reading in verse 8. We'll be looking at 11 through 18. Uh, some translations start a new sentence in verse 11, but for the sake of the flow, we'll start in verse 8. First Timothy, Second Timothy, rather, chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Hear the word of God. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Let's pray. Our Father, as we take up this study of your word, we pray that your spirit would guide us and teach us. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that we have them in our own language, in various translations even. And Lord, we pray as we study now that you would feed us on the word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do with the gospel? Well, in some ways, that depends. It depends on what your relationship to it is now. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then really the only thing you can do with the gospel is to believe it. You recognize in it the grace of God, the gospel, the good news of that Savior, in whom in his grace the Lord sent into this world to redeem those who would believe in him to reconcile them to God, to achieve through his death and resurrection uh, payment for our sins uh, in order to secure for us eternal life. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Really, if you're not a believer, that's all you can do with the gospel. You say, well, you can reject it too. Well, yes, but that just leaves you where you are, outside of Christ, alienated from God, uh, and under his wrath and condemnation. So really, what remains for you to do in, in hearing of Christ is to turn from your sins and to believe in him and to follow him. It will cost you nothing. Jesus paid it all. It will cost you everything. Jesus says, come, follow me. But what if you're a believer? What if you're a Christian? What do you do with the gospel? Well, you too are to believe the gospel. We tend to think, well, someone's become a Christian. That's a one-time event. It is. Their, 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 their conversion, their justification. Uh, and yet, even as believers, daily, we come back to the cross. We recognize our sins. We repent of them. We come back and remind ourselves anew what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. That God loves us, not because we've earned it, but because Christ has earned it for us. That God accepts us, that he adopts us as his, as his children based on what Jesus has done for us. Because we, as believers, tend to fall back into this idea that somehow it's up to us to earn merit with God. But it's not. Jesus has done it all. So even as believers, our task is to go on believing the gospel, returning daily to the foot of the cross, recognizing God's provision for us there. But is there anything else? Yes, there is. There are other things that we do with the good news of a Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. And in this passage that's here before us this morning, Paul talks about some of those things. Now, he's been writing to his son in the faith, his disciple, his protege, Timothy, uh, he said some important things to him. He's built him up and encouraged him. He has challenged Timothy and challenged us not to be ashamed of the gospel because of what the gospel is, because of God's grace in it, because it is the message of Christ, because it is a message worth suffering for, if need be, but certainly nothing to be ashamed of. But now, as Paul goes on talking along those same lines, and again, not being ashamed of it, which is a theme, as we've seen, that occurs for the first time in verse 8, but again in verse 12, and again in verse 16, uh, that there are other things that we can do with the gospel. Timothy can do that we, too, could, should, can and should do with the good news of Jesus. First thing he mentions is that of communicating it, making it known to others. Look at verse 11. Paul mentions in verse 10, the gospel, Jesus who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which, for which gospel I, Paul says, was appointed, out of the divine passive, we understand it was, it was God, it was Christ who appointed him to this, uh, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. Now, Paul's not just heaping up words there. Each one of those has a very specific meaning. Paul says he was appointed a preacher. The word has the idea of being a herald, of being someone who announces news. In this case, who announces good news. Uh, some have uh, used the image of the town crier. Uh, back in the days before the Internet, when people just had to work on their laptops disconnected from the rest of the world, uh, to receive news, uh, often a town crier would go through and he would declare the headlines. Um, well, that's kind of the idea of what it means to be a preacher, or as the word means, a herald, one who declares news. Uh, John Piper takes up that metaphor and makes much of it. 
he illustrates it this way. Uh, the town crier, perhaps illustrating a uh, or, or proclaiming an announcement from the king, Piper pictures it this way. He says, he gathers a group of people and says, Hear ye, hear ye, be it known to you today, by royal order of his highness the king, there will henceforth be granted to this town an imperial watch of 100 soldiers to protect you from the rebel bands who plunder the king's subjects. And a cheer goes up among the people, which he said would be the amens of the congregation. Unless you're a Presbyterian, then you just kind of go, hmm. That wasn't Piper's words, those were mine. The town crier continues, Furthermore, be it known to you that the cost for this protection shall be borne not by taxation, but by the beneficence of the king from his royal treasury. Again, cheers, amens. Moreover, the king would have you know he loves you, his royal subjects. He will use all his royal counsel and power to defend you and supply your wants. Again, cheers. And lastly, he sends through me his royal blessing. Blessed be the people whose trust is in the king. And again, cheers. Amen. So that's Piper, Piper's imagination of, of the role of the preacher as herald. And that's an important aspect of preaching. There is more to preaching than teaching, although it should include teaching. There's a sense in preaching of declaring, of making known, and exulting in that declaration of good news, of, of worshiping God in the very declaration of and in the hearing of the good news of the gospel, which regardless of the sermon text, uh, should at least be the, the, the behind-the-scenes foundation for the text on any passage of Scripture. Old Testament or New, behind it and underlying it is the grace of God in redeeming us through Christ to be his people. So a preacher. He also says he's appointed an apostle. Uh, one who is sent, to use the, uh, the, the, the sense of the, of the Greek term, uh, and yet sent with authority, Christ-given authority for composing, for preserving, for transmitting the authoritative pattern of truth. The office of apostle is unique, very limited one. And those who had witnessed the resurrection of Christ, seen him post-resurrection, uh, had been commissioned to that office by Christ. And, of course, uh, those apostles are not with us anymore, but we do have the record of their teaching, the record of that truth as it's recorded for us in Scripture, and particularly in an apostolic sense in the New Testament. And also, he does say, a teacher, someone who makes disciples of Jesus by explaining and illustrating and applying the truth of what the Lord Jesus has done for us, of what the Bible teaches. Now, we serve in those functions. Some of us serve in the function of preacher. Uh, none of us today serves formally as an apostle, but all of us are uh, committed to this, this, this gospel, this truth, to make it known to others. And there is an authority behind it, not within us, but in Christ. Uh, and certainly, we teach one way or another. Some of you teach formally in the sense of Sunday school or Bible study. Uh, others of you teach as parents. Some of you teach in schools during the week. Uh, but teaching is something that we do. Now, at the very least, we can fall back on verse 8, where Paul says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. And all of us, uh, as believers, are to bear testimony about our Lord. What can we do with the gospel? 
Well, we certainly believe it, but having believed in it, we want to communicate it in various ways. We want to make known to people the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another thing we can do for it. Paul goes on to talk about in verse 12, and that is we can suffer for it. Which is why, Paul says, I suffer as I do. Now, that's an interesting statement. He says, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Which is why I suffer as I do. Why? What, what, does, what does communicating the good news of Jesus have to do with suffering? Paul just assumes that as a matter of course. I do this, I communicate the gospel, that's why I suffer. Well, the reason is that humanity in its fallenness rejects the gospel. The gospel is an affront to it. We talked some about that last time. A stumbling block to Jews, Paul says, and foolishness to the Greeks. But there's something profoundly offensive in the gospel to fallen sensibilities. Because what the gospel says is, there is nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing that you contribute to your salvation in any way. And so to receive the gospel requires that we humble ourselves. That we recognize that we are absolutely helpless before God. And we don't like that. We'd like to think that we at least contribute something to it if it wasn't entirely my decision altogether. And yet the gospel humbles us. The gospel says, no, there's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. It also says God has provided everything you need to be right with him in Jesus. And you have to humble yourself, acknowledge your sin to believe in him. And so there's this 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 level of offense that the gospel is going to generate with those who hear it. Maybe you yourself experience something of that uh, prior to your, your conversion, and maybe as part of your conversion, this, this reaction against God, and yet seeing the truth coming through the pages of Scripture or the words of the pulpit or the life of someone you know, uh, so that God brings you to that place of humility where you bow to Jesus and you receive him. I think that's why Paul says, I communicate the gospel, that's why I suffer as I do. If you don't suffer in some way as a believer, it's worth asking the question, are you communicating the gospel? Do people even know you're a believer? Do you talk to people about Jesus? Do you challenge their unbelieving assumptions and presuppositions and ideas and statements? Not in an offensive way, uh, but simply out of concern for their well-being and concern for the truth. Paul says, I suffer, but, again, verse 12, I am not ashamed. Why not? Look at what he says. For I know whom I have believed. Notice he didn't say, I know what I believe. He says, I know whom I have believed. I know the person I have believed. Not just I know the truth, but I know the one who is the truth. I know Christ. That's why I'm not ashamed. Because I know Jesus. I know the reality of these things. And notice what he goes on to say. Not only do I know the one whom, the person whom I have believed, but I am convinced he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, there's a little bit of a interpretational decision that has to be made here. And some translations like the ESV uh, read, he's guard what has been entrusted to me. Uh, some, like the New American Standard, say what I have entrusted to him, or the old King James Version on which the hymn is based, 
uh, which, yes, we'll sing in a little bit. Uh, the, the reason for that is Paul simply says in the original, he says, I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day my deposit or my entrustment, that which is entrusted. Is it entrusted to me or is it what I've entrusted to God? That's the question. Paul knew, apparently Timothy knew, but for us, it could go either way. Neither one is necessarily wrong. You know, is it, is it what God's entrusted to me, namely the gospel, or is it what I've entrusted to him? My destiny, my future, my well-being could be either one. Biblically, it could be either one. And in other places, both are spoken of. I happen to agree with the ESV, not dogmatically, uh, but I do think it seems to fit, because you'll notice what he says in verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, Timothy. So there, it's what's entrusted to Timothy. And then also, the, on the, on, in my Bible, the page before that, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, he says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. So in the context, it seems to be what God has entrusted to us. And so that's why I think the ESV uh, gets, it, gets it right there, what has been entrusted to me. In other words, I'm not ashamed. I know the one I've believed in, and ultimately, he's the one who's responsible for the gospel and its success in the world, and, and the well-being and success of the church in the world. What a relief that even for someone like the Apostle Paul, he ultimately has to say, you know, I, I'm convinced God can guard what he has entrusted to me. I'll do my best to communicate it. If need be, I'll suffer for it. But ultimately, the gospel and its success and its progress in the world is in God's hands. And certainly, his destiny and ours is too. Now, talking about being ashamed, I want to jump down to verses 15 and 16 and 17 and 18. Because these are kind of negative and positive examples of what he's talking about. Negatively, being ashamed. Look at verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Apparently, with Paul's arrest, his being, as he says, in chains, uh, there were those who, who turned away from him personally, maybe even went apostate from the gospel. Apparently, we don't know anything about Phygelus and Hermogenes. Apparently, they were maybe some of the leaders in that um, who were ashamed of Paul, who did turn away from the apostle, perhaps particularly in his imprisonment, his suffering. But a positive example is this Onesiphorus, where the Lord says, May the Lord grant mercy to his household, the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. This was a man who ministered to Paul, who was not ashamed to be associated with this prisoner for and of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice instead, verse 17, when he arrived in Rome, which is the only time Paul mentions where he's imprisoned, he searched for me earnestly, which means Paul may may not have been in in a very happy place. Remember the end of Acts, he was sort of in house under house arrest, and people could come and he would teach them and they'd take care of him, and he had some freedom, but here... He may well have been in some sort of underground pit uh, that was difficult to find because Onesiphorus had to look hard to find Paul, and he did find me. And Paul again says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Uh, Praise for blessings on his family. Apparently he separated from them. Somebody even suggested he died. And Paul's actually praying for the well-being of one who is dead. Well, there's no warrant for that. There's nothing that says he died. He may well simply be apart from his family while he's come to Rome 
His family may be in Asia Minor, in Ephesus, wherever, uh, that they're apart. But the Lord prays for blessings on his family, prays for blessings on him. You know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is a faithful brother who's not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of this servant of the gospel, and looks hard to find Paul and help Paul minister to his needs. Uh, and is willing to suffer, perhaps, for his association with the apostles. So what can we do with the gospel? We communicate it. If necessary, we suffer for it, which, by the way, itself is a way of communicating, a bearing witness to the gospel, bearing witness to the world that says this is such a treasure, it is worth suffering for, and it is worth dying for. That's a strong witness to the gospel. When they say, wow, he's, he's willing, she's willing to put up with a lot to follow Jesus. Maybe there is something to that. Not only that, but we can be true to it. Look at verse 13. He says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. Now, the pattern or standard, some translations render it, uh, has the idea of, of, of an example. Uh, over in 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 16, Paul says, I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example, same, same term, to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So he says, follow this, this pattern, this example of sound words, almost if you want to think of it in terms of a picture of a child tracing letters, you know, when they're learning to make their letters, there's a pattern, and they trace it. And they follow it exactly, and so they learn to make their letters. Well, that's essentially what Paul is saying to Timothy. Follow that pattern of sound words. The word that has the, the, the sound has the, the basic idea of healthy. In fact, sometimes it occurs when Jesus has healed someone. He's restored their health. Paul is saying, follow this example from me that you've heard, this teaching of sound or healthy words, sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. Uh, that which is not sick or emaciated or lame, but that which is healthy, that which is whole. These words are important. Follow that pattern. That pattern of what? That pattern of healthy doctrine, healthy teaching, Paul says, that you have heard from me. One of the most important things we can do with the gospel is get it right, is be true to it, is make sure that our understanding of what God has done in Christ is biblical that it is in line with Paul's teaching, with the apostolic teaching, with Scripture as a whole. We're not at liberty just to make up whatever we want about Jesus. We need to make sure that our thinking about Jesus and certainly our talking and teaching, preaching about Jesus, is, as Paul says, following that pattern of sound or healthy words that Paul himself taught. But do we do that arrogantly? Some do. Some seem to take great pride in their doctrinal precision, which is sort of contrary to what that doctrinal precision is all about. Like I said, the gospel humbles us. It's about our inability, and yet God's merciful, gracious provision. It should humble us, not make us arrogant. And notice that's what Paul says. Follow that pattern in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow it in faith, out of faith in Jesus. We're to trust him. When we hear from Scripture, there will be things that, that they're hard to get hold of, either hard to understand or just hard to swallow because they, they humble us. But we believe them and we teach them because of our faith in Jesus. And also our love, the love that is in Christ Jesus. 
our ministry should be characterized by love. Our lo- our lives, our families, uh, our teaching of children in Sunday school, whatever it is, should be saturated with the love of Christ. Our love for Christ, certainly his love for us. So yes, get it right, but not in an arrogant way, not in a harsh way, but in a way that comes out of faith in Christ and his truth and faith that he will work his truth in others just as he has in us and out of the love of Christ that looks on people as Jesus did with compassion, with a desire for them to know and to grow. We can communicate the gospel. Need be we suffer for the gospel. We want to be true to the gospel. We don't want to water it down or change it or compromise it or try to make it more palatable to people around us. But then the fourth thing Paul says is we can guard the gospel. Look at verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Uh, The word guard is obvious, to uh, protect, to protect from loss, to protect from damage. That's what Timothy is to do. He is to guard the gospel because there are those who would seek to damage it. There are those who would seek to steal it by destroying it, by distorting it. And Timothy is to be on guard against that. Uh, and that is, that's important for us as parents of our children. It's important for those of you who teach, uh, for those of you who are officers, particularly elders in the church, for the pulpit of the church, uh, certainly to, to positively teach the truth, which is the best way to guard it, but if need be, to expose error and to show how it's not compatible with the Scriptures. So guard, Paul says, this good deposit, the gospel, the message of Christ that has been entrusted to you. He's a steward of it. He's accountable for it. And we all are, to one degree or another, certainly those who teach or preach in a formal sense, where elders, by ordination, have a particular responsibility to this. But all of us have some responsibility to the gospel, certainly to communicate it, but also to be a steward of it, to keep it, to guard it. And notice we don't do that alone. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Earlier you heard the membership vows. And in those vows there's reference. By the grace of the Holy Spirit. You see, we don't do any of this on our own. We don't do any of this in our own strength. We do this with the strength and the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in every believer. By the strength of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So what are you doing with the gospel? I certainly hope that you have believed it, that you have received the Savior of whom it speaks, and that you're daily believing it, going back again and again to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be reminded of God's love for you and your standing with him, to receive fresh, fresh supplies of his grace, to live for him each day. But having done that, and we never stop doing that, communicate the gospel as God gives you opportunity if necessary, as a result of that, to be willing to suffer for the gospel. To be careful to be true to the biblical gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, as Paul says, to be diligent to guard that gospel that the Lord has committed to us, to his church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this treasure that is the good news of Jesus. And Father, we pray as believers that these things would be true of us, certainly that they would be true of our church. Lord, keep us faithful. Lord, we look to you. We can't do this and won't do this in our own strength. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray 
that as we do these things with the gospel, we would be filled with greater joy, that we would have the privilege of seeing you work through us, bring others to Christ, and that we would bring glory to you, glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us, gave himself for us. We pray it in his name. Amen.